From Cowork 591 Studios, this is the Steve Brown Arts Center Podcast Network. I'm Jim Gillespie with co-host Dale Reber and producer Blake Tempest, and this is the Jessup News for April 11, 2023. On today's podcast, we have Jessup News, Service, and Art. It is a full night. We talk more about this year's Farmer's Day. We talk about the ghost ship Octavius. We talk about the Iowa women final four games with South Carolina and LSU. We look at some of the events that are coming upcoming in the Steve Brown Arts Center. And we give you the top stories in Jessup. We sponsored this week, as always, by Rayo's Concrete Service, Littleton Lounge LLC, the Littleton Chatham Historical Society, the Littleton Chatham Historical Society, strives accurately document, promote, and preserve the history of the Littleton and Chatham area to cultivate an interest and educational understanding for future generations. We're also sponsored by Dream Chaser Acres. And, of course, um, our wonderful host here at the studios, Cowork 591. Kelly and the people here at Cowork are incredible to us as they allow us to use their, their podcast material every week and allow us... Blake to do his uh, voodoo so well. We also have two sponsors this week. A shout out to M&M Bakery in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, Many of you may know or remember Andrea Boniface. Her name is Andrea Martin now, and she owns M&M Bakery down there. So we welcome her as a sponsor. And also a new sponsor, Jacobson Fabrication and Repair LLC, run by Donnie Jacobson. Um, Donnie, Donnie is uh, very kind. He does a lot for our, for our community as well. So welcome to both those sponsors. It's nice to have them. Remember, the Steve Brown Arts Center is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that has a vision for artists, young and old alike, to have the opportunity to better themselves while helping to build the skills of those around them. It will be offering community programs starting in Jessup, Iowa, before expanding to neighboring communities. Programming will include a community speaker series that will showcase existing creatives who reside within the community, as well as pop-up series that will spotlight and partner with local businesses and provide opportunities for community engagements. The long-term vision is to house a rural artist residency program for professional and emerging artists in all areas of art and the humanities. We also want to do a shout out to uh, our listener Jordan, who told us about the first time her mother her mother left her, left her alone. She talked about how she laid down on the couch with a knife under her pillow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where did she live? She, she, she was frightened. She was a little frightened. Well, I bet you. Yeah, it sounds she, like it. Yeah. Yeah, she, she lived locally. Yeah, okay. I, I won't embarrass her too bad. All right. Uh, we want to say hi to all our new listeners this week, and we want to say hi to our friends that have been listening since we started. We appreciate your loyalty. The numbers are going up. Our goal, Dale and I were talking before we, we went on air tonight, uh, our goal is to go over 50. We have presently 48 <laughs> listeners. All right. um, tell your friends. Go grab a friend. Yes, <laughs> say it's not as bad as you've heard. Listen up. Uh, one last shout-out. A shout-out to a friend in Cascade, Colorado. We, we know you, in the coming months of your life you're going to do a battle 
as you work to walk and hike again. Remember, win the minute. In Jessup news, $500,000 grant from wastewater treatment financial assistance was donated to Jessup for the new wastewater facility. That sounds good. Yes, it does. Um, the budget was okayed for the upcoming physical year starting uh, July 1st. Okay. And there was a, there's a bill written where they, they are annexing textual changes so that there's fewer meetings for zoning. They, they meet like three or four times right now, and they want to cut it down to one meeting. Okay. And I understand people need their time. Yeah. There's also a zoning ordinance allows residents to build now on an 80-foot lot instead of a 90-foot lot, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is good for lower-income lower families. Yes. Well, I'm on a 45-foot lot. Are you really? <laughs> yes. They'll probably make me tear it down. Well, you know, <laughs> in the old days, they didn't look so much at zoning. You know, and this is, right. I was built in 1950, and so, uh, but yeah, it's only, it's just they whacked off a side of a lot and build a little house there and so that's um, interesting yeah so it's just 45 feet they are also going to rebuild five sidewalks on fifth street in front of five residents down there if you remember a number of years ago that they did some constructions and took out some sidewalks and they are going to replace those sidewalks this summer They've been doing a lot of cement work on the streets here the last few days, too. Yes. Uh, then I know you mentioned they were going to do that, and they were actually getting right at it. So uh, That's uh, good. It's been nice weather, actually. Yeah, actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, the citywide garage sales are May 6th in Jessup. And last but not least, the, the citywide cleanup is May 13th okay. in Jessup. Um, Dale, you you had a couple of things that you wanted to talk about. Did, um, first, did you want to talk? Did you have anything um, new for Farmers Day? We have to wait till next week. Our next meeting is Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, and so okay, we have to wait one more week. So good. Uh, the, well, I told you about the inflatable rocket that we bought twenty five foot. It's in. We have it, and so. Uh, Michael said it doesn't look too imposing in the box. He's hoping that once we blow it up, <laughs> it'll look a lot better. But it is here, so that's one thing we can say is we will have that for sure. So It, it sounds like the, the community is going to do a lot for the youth that Thursday night before the... Okay, that's, that's good because we need activities, and uh, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so Dale, you you have a couple things you wanted to talk about. Well, I, and one thing for sure is is I uh, was reading in the Bulletin Journal, and uh, there's a bill in Congress about raising the weight of uh, semi trucks on interstates and national systems uh, by over five and a half tons, and uh, they had some interesting things that hit close to home for us. So there are 4,585 bridges in Iowa that are in poor condition, and that's the worst in the nation. And it would cost about a billion dollars, one billion dollars, to uh, replace these bridges. The average age of a bridge in Iowa is 45 years, and there are about 1,800 bridges in Iowa that are over 90 years old. And we have the second highest number of bridges in the country that would fail to handle the higher weights if they would pass in Congress. Mm. Uh, Buchanan County 
has three bridges that are older than when Custer got killed by the <laughs> <laughs> by Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse back in in Montana uh, over well over 100 years ago. So there's three bridges in Buchanan County that are older than that, and there are 35 bridges in the county that predate the production of of Model Ts. And so that was 1903 to 1910, somewhere in there, I believe. So if, these, if this bill would pass, these heavier trucks uh, would require Buchanan County to replace 74 bridges uh, at a cost of almost $23 million. And uh, the quote was, that's more money than the county takes in in a year. Mm -hmm. And so uh, uh, they talked about safety. On the side of safety, these 91,000-pound trucks have a 47% higher crash rate, and in damages, the 12% increase in weight puts 60% more stress on these bridges when these trucks go across. Mm -hmm. They also have a different tire pressure from 70 uh, pounds per square inch to 115, and that increases damages to roads 443%. And this information comes from a study they did on paved roads. It would be even worse on county, on the, on the gravel roads, and that's what we have around here. So, And all this was in the April 5th edition of the Independence Bulletin Journal. And uh, County Engineer uh, Brian Kilaber and County Supervisor Clayton Ort have been in Washington, D.C., telling our congressman that this would be uh, a catastrophic bill for Iowa. And they said that uh, everyone they talked to, uh, Ernst people and uh, some of the Congress. I guess they're women people, all thought they would be against it, but that Senator Grassley's representative said that he would probably be for the bill. And the problem is, is that uh, there's a lot of goods and services. There's a shortage of truck drivers. And so what they're saying is instead of buying, or if we can't find truck drivers, we'll just make the trucks bigger so they can haul more stuff, even though it sounds like it would be kind of a dangerous situation. And I know in Iowa there was a bill to uh, limit the liability of trucks and truck drivers in certain situations. And so I know that the, uh, the truck lobby is very strong in Iowa. So it's just something that it, monetarily, it could be uh, something detrimental to our county and, uh, and the whole state. And uh, it gets me, this is a, uh, what, editorial in my opinion, but the whole session this year, they've been talking about where kids should go to the bathroom and uh, what books they should read and not read and this kind of stuff. That's oversimplifying, I know. But they haven't talked about the bridges in Iowa. They haven't talked about Iowa has the second highest cancer rate of any state in the country. Uh, the roads are bad. The water, the water in our, our natural waters, riverways and lakes are very polluted uh, compared to all the other states around us. Uh, we're still sending all that stuff down the Mississippi. And they got that huge uh, glob of down in the Gulf of Mexico, they say it all comes from Iowa. We're losing our most precious uh, asset, which is the soil. And so there's so many, many things uh, that the legislature could be doing instead of what they have been doing, We're talking about things that affect really just a very small percentage of the people in Iowa. But uh, they uh, get going on some of this stuff and they just can't get away from it. Uh, so I know I'm very upset with the legislature. I think there's so many serious things that need to be done that aren't even being talked about as far as I know. So uh, anyhow, so that's kind of my little thing today. Uh, it's about uh, these overweight trucks. If you want to write a letter uh, to your congressman, that would be a good thing to do to say, you know, we, 
we can't have all these overweight trucks in the state of Iowa cost us millions and millions of dollars so that we'd be able to accommodate them. So, okay, that's all I have for now. You know, I was trying to think, Dale, where those three bridges are that are older than Custer's last stand, <laughs> yeah. you know, in, yeah. in the county. Yeah, well... I know the one at Fontana, they have replaced that one, but that was a very old bridge. Right. And then the West Bridge uh, on the west side of Hazleton, they, they have replaced that. That was an old, old bridge. So I don't know mm -hmm. which ones they're talking about, and I, I maybe I could find out if I made a phone call. But uh, if you drive around some of these old roads, and sometimes they have bridges. I remember as a kid, we were going to Guttenberg as my father was driving, and we came down this hill, and we, there was a bridge in front of us, and my dad stopped and got out, and he looked at that bridge, looked at the bridge, <laughs> and he turned around and went the other way. And so, uh, you know, it's not a new problem. So, yeah. So I remember that very vividly. I said, oh, you know, he's got little boards missing or whatever. I said, ah, you go back the other way. So, uh, but it is a problem. And the thing is, they've known it's a problem. It's been talked about for many years. The, the state of bridges in Iowa. There's been studies done by national transportation boards and this sort of thing. And so this is nothing new. No. And But it's still sitting there, uh, nothing being done or very little being done. And so uh, I know in the article, Clayton Ort said that the county is trying to replace bridges, but if this kind of thing happens, there's no way they can keep up. I mean, it just doesn't doesn't work. And so, uh, so I don't know. But it's uh, somebody built this infrastructure that we have, and just because... It's our turn. You know, it's our turn now, and, and we need to replace it because if it's all worn out and, and, and not safe, then uh, we have to be here at this time. It's our job to replace it. And uh, uh, they too hung up on lowering taxes and this sort of thing when there's so many things they need tax money for, in my opinion. And so, uh, and it's our job to pay for it because we live here. So, Well, how many bridges did you say in Buchanan County? Are there... Ah, boom, 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 boom. Uh, 4,585 in Iowa that are in poor condition. Uh, okay, just as there's 35 bridges, at 35, there's 38. They'd have to replace 74 bridges if these trucks. There's in 74 Buchanan of them County. in Buchanan County. There's 74 of them they count that would not be able to hold or should not have these bigger trucks drive over them. I don't know what the total number of bridges are in Buchanan County. but uh, It'd be interesting when that $24 million figure came out. Yeah. You know, how close, you know, yeah. I, I, that would be almost impossible for 70-some bridges for $24 million, you yeah. would think. Yeah, I don't know. 23, 74 bridges that are cut. But a lot of them are little spans on these gravel roads, mm -hmm. I'm sure, and that sort of thing. But uh, you look at how much heavier tractors and wagons full of corn and this sort of thing are now than they were 40 years ago when they built the bridge. Right. And that's a lot of weight going across oh. there all the time. And uh, you see a lot of bridges with signs that have load limits on them yep. out in the country. And so that would all have to be taken into account, too. So I don't know. Well done, Mr. Reber. Thank, Thank you. you. In obituaries this week, the Steve Brown Arts Center would like to thank the White's Funeral Home for providing the obituaries each and every week. We have one this week. Um, Paul Gudenkoff, 70 years old, of Jessup, Iowa, died of natural causes Wednesday, March 29, 2023, at the Cedar Valley Hospice House in Waterloo. Paul Allen Gudenkoff was born February 10, 1953, in Manchester, Iowa, the son of Carl John Gudenkoff, and Mary Rita Lewis Gunkoff. He grew up in the Monticello area and graduated from Monticello High School with a class in 1972. Paul was employed in the transportation industry, 
early in his career as a truck driver and then as a trucking broker for, him for many years. Paul was very active in the community. He was a former member of the Jessup City Council and a former board member of the Jessup Golf and Country Club. He was a member of the Knights of Columbus Council 8227 in Jessup, the 4th Degree Knight of Columbus Assembly 264 in Waterloo, Jessup Lions Club, and board member of Winding Creek Meadows Assisted Living in Jessup. Whether it was helping out at the tractor poles, fish fries, or the Farmer's Day pork feed, he was always there to lend a helping hand. Paul, Paul always treasured his fishing trips out of state and to Canada. He enjoyed traveling, gardening, playing cards, and taking Polaris rides with his beloved Golden Retriever, Ginger. Paul survived by his wife, Diane Gunkoff of Jessup, two sisters, Vicki Hudgens of Iowa City, Beth Gunkoff of Anamosa, two brothers, Rick Gunkoff of Wyoming, Iowa, Jim Gunkoff of Riverview, Florida, one sister-in-law, Susan Gunkoff of Wyoming, Iowa, special foreign exchange student friends, Tim Lance and Patrick Jacob, both of Germany, many nieces and nephews, great nieces and nephews, and one great, great nieces and nephews. He is preceded in death by his parents, two brothers, Gary Gudenkoff and Larry Gudenkoff, and one sister, J.C. Feltz. Online condolences may be posted to whitemounthope.com. Very nice man. I, I knew him, he, they don't say in the obituary, but he was on the library board when I was on the library board and uh, for a while, and... Uh, so that's how I knew him from that, and uh, very nice man. Well, it goes it goes back to one of one of the uh, key values of the Steve Brown Art Center service, and he he yeah. did a lot of service yep. for our community. That's for sure. Yeah. So, in school news from from the recreation department, um, we have finished first and second grade kickball. Nearly forty kids participated, and they all seemed to have a lot of fun. Thank you to Kyle Bucknell and Brevin Dahl for helping out. All of our registrations for summer ball will be close, closing soon as we begin to prepare for the season. Anyone who missed sign up should contact Brock Sabers at bsabers at jessup.k12.ia.us. The archery team is busy preparing for nationals in May. More information on some more of our summer offerings will be out soon. One of those is with the Steve Brown Arts Center. It is a theater camp that is coming to Jessup. Really? Yes, it is. Um, Dale, you may know the artists involved. Um, Heather, Heather and Drew Gray right. of Michigan. And they are going to they are going to come the last week of July, and they're going to put on a camp from about 9 in the morning till about 2 in the afternoon each day. Then on Friday, they will, they will put on a play, mm -hmm. and actually a musical. Maybe you can tell us more about this, Dan. Well, uh, they are both involved in the Michigan Professional Youth Theater, and... Uh, uh, Heather is from Jessup, and so she is from our podcast, learned what we're trying to do, and so they've kind of volunteered to come and do a camp. They do several of these camps every summer in Michigan, and uh, they said they would like to come and do one for Jessup. And so, uh, and I'm not sure what age level, it's mainly elementary kids 
for the most part. I believe they're going to do K-6 this year. K-6, okay. And uh, any amount of kids, these plays are especially written that they can accommodate any number of kids. And so uh, uh, it's nice if you have kids that are interested in the theater. Uh, it's after Little League and softball and that sort of thing for the little kids. And so if you want them to uh, get involved with something like this, why uh, I helped with a couple of plays up at the high school years ago when I've acted in, in those dumb melodramas. And it's it's so much fun. And, and kids, uh, sometimes a little shy about getting on stage, but when they're in a big group like that and singing in the chorus and, and do a little acting, uh, they, they find it's very enjoyable and... Uh, uh, will increase, we hope, participation in the high school programs that they put on and uh, get more people involved with theater, with live theater, because uh, it's a lot of fun and it's a joy to watch. And so uh, tell you all your grandparents that they need to come and see you <laughs> in the play. The, the, uh, the sign-up, um, this is in association with the City Rec program and Brock, so Brock will send out an email to um, the families of the community. We'll also have some flyers for you um, placed in the library and other places here. And um, I know one of the things I like about it, Dale, is it's an all-inclusive camp. They, they, they involve mentally and physically handicapped students as well. Yeah, and, and Heather has worked with special education uh, for almost 20 years now, and so uh, that's one thing they insist upon is that there's full in inclusion, and uh, they they know how to make it work yeah. for, for kids of, of all ages. And uh, uh, there are things to do. Uh, I know uh, Drew is real big in teaching kids about lighting and sound and that sort of thing. Set building, uh, they try to incorporate all those kind of things and meet kids' interests. And so I don't want to overpromise what they've got planned because this will be new to them as far as doing it outdoors like this in, in the park and, and that sort of thing. But uh, uh, they're very big. Both of them work in this area. And so uh, Drew works in this area full-time with theater. And so... Uh, I, I, th I think it should be a wonderful experience for the kids in Jessup. So I hope they give it a chance and uh, they'll be our first artist in residence, won't they? It will be. I, I, I will have to tell you, Dale, I, I met with Heather and Drew last Sunday morning and Heather made me promise that she could be on the podcast uh, when she was here that week. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think some hard questions to ask her, huh? No. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, Dale. I'd like to talk now about a rather infamous uh, event in world history. There are many strange mysteries that reside in history, but, but one of them is, a, is the unsettling event of a ship called the Octavius Ghost Ship. Um, the Octavius was discovered along the coast of Greenland in 1775. There were, there were 28 crew members on board and none of them were alive. They were frozen to death on the ship. The captain was frozen writing in his journal, and his wife and son were frozen in a, in a chair next to them, wrapped in blankets. And the 28 or the, the 25 other crew members were frozen below, below deck in different positions uh -huh. as well. A little bit about the Octavius. 
It was built during the mid-18th century, and it set sail to the high seas in 1761. The ship departed from England and went to China with a crew of 28 people on board. While the ship did not did reach its intended destination about a year later, remember, things took a little bit more time yeah, then. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, it was not so lucky upon its return voyage. Um, the captain, experiencing great seas and warm temperatures, decided to take the Northwest Passage back to England. And that meant going through the Pacific up through the Arctic Ocean and around northern Canada, excuse me, from the Atlantic to the Arctic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. Well, they wrecked off of Alaska, oh, near, and I, I always struggle with these Yupik villages. Yeah. Um, in a village called, or off the coast of a village called Utguavik, Alaska, never to be heard of again. And they were, they were caught there uh-huh. and must have froze there. Well, after years frozen that ice, global warming or whatever, they broke loose. And a ship called the Herald found them off of the coast of Greenland 13 years later. Okay. And all these guys were frozen in these positions in the ship. And everybody, all the, all the sailors on the Herald yelled and yelled and yelled for people. Nobody came, so they boarded the ship. And we're going to take things off the ship. They were all excited. This ship was floating around, oh, sure. nobody there. Well, then they went down and saw these guys frozen in immortality. Now, here's the rest of the story, Paul Harvey. <laughs> okay. Is that, I doubt if anybody knows that. But, <laughs> Who's Paul Harvey? Yeah. Okay. Um, I know, that's all it counts. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, here's the rest of the story is there is a belief that probably another ship had found them. And as a practical joke, a scary practical joke, position these sailors in different formations uh, on okay. the ship. Because I wonder why they wouldn't be huddled together if they were freezing to death. Right. You know, you'd think that. Uh, so what, I'm sorry, did you mention what kind of positions they were in? Or well, the captain, for example, was writing in his journal. Okay. And so they, as they were leaving, they grabbed the journal from the captain. But it, the journal tore, so they only got the front page and the back page. Uh-huh. And let's see, upon reading, an, another, there, there's another story, and I forget the name of it, about another ship that was found in a similar area. And that ship was called the Gloriana. And a lot of people, it was found about the same time. Okay. And a lot of people think the Gloriana was actually the Octavius. <laughs> but the, this, this ship has been written about uh, multiple times. Okay, I, I guess I have not heard this story. So. Yeah. Okay. So if you get a chance, um, look up 
the Octavius and read about it. It's a rather interesting story. Okay. It sounds like it. Yeah, yes. yeah. In, in library news, the Little Todd Story Time meets every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. for song stories and more. The Spice Club, every month we offer new spice. This month's spice is, is ginger. Get yours today at the front desk. We also have past months. Spices available on a first-come, first-served basis. If you missed one, ask the front desk. The book club for April 17th at 1 p.m. is discuss the April book, The Taking of Jemima Boone by Matt Pearl. Kids in the Kitchen is Wednesday, April 19th at 3.30 p.m. Learn how to make easy, kid-friendly snacks. Join us this month to make a sweet or savory roll-up. All snacks may include nuts, gluten, or dairy, so plan accordingly. Friends of the JPL is a nonprofit support organization that improves the services and resources of the library, promotes citizen involvement in the community, and hosts fundraising events. Support the JPL by buying, buying Velvet Coffee or buying a Polar Camel water bottle. New things to check out at the library include disc golf. Um, Jason Ole, check into that when you're in Jessup. A digital camera and a spike ball game. Other non-book items include craft stamps, candy molds, cake pans, puzzles and games, and STEM activity bags. Don't forget the Dolly Parton Imagination Library that, that we spoke about. A special thanks to our sponsors supporting this program, the Friends of the JPL Library, Heartland Technology, Innovative Wealth Management, Jessup Payton Auto Body, Jessup Chamber of Commerce, and Jessup Public Library Endowment Fund. New bestsellers at the JPL include Worthy Opponents by Daniel Steele, I Will Find You by Harlan Coben, Countdown by James Patterson, Storm Watts by C.J. Box, The London Seance Society, I need to check into that, I like to read about seances by Sarah Penner, Spare by Prince Harry. A Eight Rules of Love by Jay Shetty. We won't ask it. We won't ask anybody <laughs> any questions about that. And it Was the Blue Line by James Patterson. Or Walk the Blue Line by James Patterson. Dale, did you get a chance to uh, watch the Iowa women play South Carolina and LSU? In the yes, Final I, yes, I did. I watched both games and uh, very entertaining, especially the first one. It was. <laughs> yeah. It was. And. I don't know that second quarter in the in the final game against LSU. Uh, you never saw a team so hot as LSU as far as putting the ball in the basket. I mean, they just could not miss with those, and uh, that was the whole game right there because uh, it was uh, quite a spectacular show. And uh, uh, but you got a really good feel watching them play against South Carolina because they played really really well. Iowa did, and they did just what they needed to do, and they won the game. And uh, the Kaitlin Clark, you know, scored all those points and had the the triple double and everything. And so it was very exciting, and, and it's nice to see Iowa mentioned in a positive way. And so I always enjoy that. So. It, it was it was, and and then and then things broke out afterwards, <laughs> Dale. After the after the South Carolina, or excuse me, after the LSU game, yeah. Um, the, the there there was a lot of trash talking, like most sports, and and I can remember earlier in the weekend, um, there was an interview done with Caitlin Clark, and they talked to her about her trash talking, mm -hmm. and she found great humor in it. Yeah, 
and and after and then um, if you watch the end of the game, um, the the young lady from LSU um, was trash talking to Caitlin Clark real hard, mm-hmm. and Caitlin handled it real real well. She yeah. didn't make eye contact. She didn't say anything back. Yeah, um, and she's made some good comments since then that she has. You know, no problem with it, and uh, to the victor go the spoils, that sort of thing. And they won the game, and they can act, you know, celebrate the way they want to. And it, so apparently, it's not affecting her very much, though. No. You cannot. It's hard to believe there's not a little nugget <laughs> in the back saying, "I'd like to play you guys again someday." But uh, no, she's handled it real well, and and uh, the Iowa coaches handled it real well, and so. Uh, uh, the bigger story is the officiating, I think, but of course they can't say much about the officiating because they get fined or whatever. But uh, there was no uh, no ebb and flow to that game. You know, it was just constantly, constantly, constantly whistles blowing, and uh, even the commentators they'd be a foul, they look at it, and look at it again and again, and say, "Well, I don't see a foul there, but <laughs> you know, they're called, and so there's nothing you can do." Uh, so I don't know, but. Uh, it would have been nice to see him win that game. I have to admit that. And so, uh, I mean, think about sportsmanship. And I remember as an elementary kid going to uh, home basketball games. This was in Hazleton, and it seemed like everybody's more polite because uh, before the game started, the band, the pep band, would play the visiting team's school song, and they would sing it and clap, and then they would sing the home team's, or they would play the home team's fight song, and then when there were timeouts. Then uh, the the visiting cheerleaders would give their cheer, and then the home cheerleaders would give their cheer. They didn't compete with each other, and uh, it was there was kind of a uh, just a politeness about it, right. the whole thing. And uh, they let the opposing team's fans sing their song, and it was just uh, everything was more. Uh, I was just quieter, and I don't remember a lot of trash talk uh, watching high school games when I was growing up and I played baseball, I don't remember any trash talk amongst teams. You know, it just, uh, you get one thrown at your head if you say the wrong thing to the wrong guy, you know, and be careful. Uh, but I remember talking to, and I think it was like Lee Fisher was a custodian up at school and he played basketball for Jessup way back when they had an old picture of their 1910 team or whatever right. it was. And he was telling me that they used to have only one referee. And so when they were shooting free throws, if your team was shooting free throws, you reached down and you'd pull the leg hairs on the guy next to you <laughs> and make him jump. And that way, if your guy missed the free throw, he'd get another one because that guy was in the lane. Right. And so stuff like that's been going on forever. And so, but uh, I, I didn't, it's fine. I didn't like the girl following her around like she did. I thought that was a little, that was kind of classless. And uh, making sure and... Uh, she kind of did that street talk. Someone going to college shouldn't talk like that. I get. I don't know. Right. Anyway, it's just you know, it's one of those things that's passed and all forgiven. And you know, those two girls could end up playing on the same team someday, the way things go. And uh, so, uh, it's nothing to uh, hang your head on and say I'm going to begrudge them this for the rest of my life. It's just not worth it. So, yeah. one of one of the commentators on um, Metal Lark Metal Metal Lark um, Media was talking about this, and she t- Sarah Spina, I believe it was, and she talked about how these young ladies no longer have to act <laughs> yeah. prim and proper yeah. 
because yeah. they are getting NIL money now. I yeah. believe the young lady from LSU is the number one money maker in women's college basketball okay. right now. Yeah. And Caitlin Clark is not far behind. So so um they no longer have to be um Miss that you know, Miss Prim yeah. Proper. Yeah. But she'll be able to afford to dress like the LSU coach does, see. So, so. <laughs> Kim, Kim Mulkey, and, and she does a nice job on marketing. You know, it, she she is sort of like, oh, who's the man at Alabama football? Um, oh, Bear Bryant? Or, no, oh, no, no, no. More recent than that. More recent. Yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. The, the Alabama football coach yeah. is a lot like Kim Mulkey is now. But Dale, there's one more issue we got to talk I about. Just say, I say, Kim, she she irritates me. You know, I uh, maybe that's sexist, but she irritates me. I'd just like to go home to that every night. I don't think that would be very good. But the, anyway, go ahead with the next thing. The um, the the president's wife um, <laughs> was was at at the game and. Yeah. Um, she she gave great compliment to Iowa after the game and said, "Why not have both Iowa and LSU come to the White House yeah. instead mm-hmm. of just LSU?" And that's not done in in sports. Um, they they don't want to start something, and and she sort of put her foot in it, and 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 um, to to um, the Iowa coach's credit. She said, uh, we won't come. LSU deserves to come to the White House, but we would love to come to have um, Dr. Biden come to our house, um, Carver Hawkeye Arena, someday. And and um, Dr. Biden is um, a fairly nice lady. I I can see her coming to Carver Hawkeye Arena someday. And, And I think she just was talking. You know, I don't think there was any... And uh, I'm sure though in the White House they went, oh, I wish I had said. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so always interesting, isn't it? It um, is. It is. Uh, as far as Steve Brown Art Center announcements mm-hmm. are in the park, following most lunches in the park this summer, the, there will be art in the park, including including the theater camp um, this summer. Um, like when when Heather and Drew are here, they're going to do a couple songs that Thursday um, during during lunch in the park. Oh, okay. To uh, oh, drum up some interest. Drum, yeah, oh, okay. to drum up some interest. Um, as we talked about, an announcement for theater camp. It will be, I believe, it's Monday the twenty third through Friday the twenty eighth of July that they will be here. Okay. Don't forget Littleton Free Watermelon Day, July 29th, two thousand twenty three. If you you go to our Facebook page and go, um, there's there's much information out there about that. We are working at, and we haven't forgot the Buchanan County Story Corps. We're still working on that. That that hasn't went away. A matter of fact, that might be what we. Donate this year to Farmers Day, um, the Steve Brown Arts Center, and we may just interview people during Farmers Day. Oh, okay, Day. that so would be interesting. That would yeah. be. That would be. Yeah, there will be events at Independence Farmers Market and if the Frank Lloyd Wright House near Kwaski, May through October. 
And there's news of a possible storefront for the Steve Brown Arts Center. Um, There will be more information on that as we get deeper in the summer. Um, But it's exciting news, very exciting news. Well, that's good. Yeah, keep your ears open for that update. Don't forget the Steve Brown Arts Center is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that has vision for artists, young and old alike, to have the opportunity to better themselves while helping to build the skills of those around them. We'll be offering community programming starting in Jessup before expanding to neighboring communities. Programming will include the community speaker series like Dale was involved with a year ago this May. That will include showcasing existing creatives who reside within the community as well as pop-up series that will spotlight and partner with local businesses to provide opportunities like the theater program. Right. The Long Range Vision is to house a rural artist residency program for professional and emerging artists in all areas of the arts and the humanities. Artists will be offered accommodations and studio space in exchange for a contribution of labor and maintenance of the building and grounds. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, well, I was wanting to say I heard this the other day and I thought it was good, so I thought I could use this as my sign-off since you have that other nice thing. But if it's free... It's advice. <laughs> if you pay for it, it's counseling. <laughs> and if either one of them works, it's a miracle. <laughs> and the second thing is, is I still have my Dairy Queen or my Dairy Cone prize. I was in, wasn't able to give it away. So I have one more question to see. I have a $10 uh, gift certificate to the Dairy Queen. And I'll make an easier question. Okay. For the past 20 years and more, there's been a business in the Jessup Business District that has a broken window. So if you would call or text Gillespie or whatever and tell him what business that is, and if you could stick in why it's ironic that this broken window is in that building, why uh, we'll pick out from all of you that put in, all <laughs> two of you, but if you would like to go to the Dairy Cone and have the chicken is delicious down there. I hadn't had that before. But uh, there's in the Jessup Business District, there's a business that has a broken window, easily seen from the street, it's been there for, I'm thinking, more than 20 years, and there's some kind of irony involved. And so if you could let us know about that at, what, Jay Gillespie Golf? Jay Gillespie Golf at gmail. At gmail.com. So uh, that would be, I'd like to get rid of this thing. So, But uh, uh, be interesting to see how observant people are. But it's easily seen from the street, and uh, it's a broken window. Okay? That's it. Well, Dale, I don't know if you knew this or not, but April is humor month. Is it really? It is. Okay. Um, do you know any good jokes? Yes, I do. But I thought we were saving them for another day. Well, <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you have for us, Dale? All right. Well, this happened uh, east of Hazleton near the Kunkel Farm, where this uh, guy was driving, went in the ditch like it happens. And so he went to the farmer's house and asked if he would pull him out. And the guy said, yeah, but, you know, it's late afternoon. We're having, so why don't you come in and have supper with us, and then we'll pull your car out. And the guy said, well, that's very nice of you. So he goes in the house, and at the, at the table is the farmer's wife and the farmer's two sons and the farmer's daughter and this pig. And he notices that the pig is seated at the table, and the pig has three medals hanging around his neck and a wooden leg. So the, the, the stranger said, what's, what's with the pig? And Oh, you probably, about the medals, the farmer said, well, uh, my son was swimming in our pond, 
and he got cramped up and he was going to drown. And the pig jumped in the water and got underneath him and kind of pushed him up off to the side till he was able to walk out of the pond. And so uh, the town mayor came out and gave him a life-saving medal. And then my daughter was in the barn and the barn caught on fire. And it got all smoking. She couldn't see her way out. And the pig went in and grabbed her skirt and pulled her to the door. <laughs> and so the, the county commissioners voted her a life-saving medal. And so that was the second one. And the, the third one was my uh, last son was in the, in the pen and the bull got him cornered. And the pig ran in the barnyard and grabbed the bull by the tail and hung on to him until the girl or until the boy was able to get over the fence. And so at the state fair, they gave him a third life-saving medal. And the guy said, well, that's great. I can see why you let him sit at the table and eat, but what's with the wooden leg? And the guy, oh, he says, a pig that's special, you would eat them all at the same time. <laughs> before, I, before, <laughs> before, before we close tonight, I'd like to do a shout out to the to the local highway patrolman. Uh, I was on a, I was I was on my way to uh, do the show tonight, and I and uh, as I was driving, a pheasant flew out in front of me. Uh huh. And I hit that pheasant, and that fe pheasant flew up in the air. And I looked in the rearview mirror, and the highway patrolman was behind me. And it hit it hit his car in the windshield, broke his windshield, and he pulled me over. Um, and I, I thought, what's he doing pulling me over? I couldn't help. I hit that pheasant. And he came up and he said, license and registration. Uh, I gave him my license and registration. The the truck. And I said, sir, what are you what are you doing? He said, I'm I'm writing you tickets. You broke my windshield. And I said, I'm trying to do that. That bird flew out in front of me. I hit it. No, you're going to have to pay for that windshield. And he wrote me up a ticket and gave me the ticket, and he got in his car and left. And I looked at the ticket, and he gave me a ticket for flipping him the bird. <laughs> so. Well, that reminds me of something. Get there for one more. We have time for one more. Oh, okay. Well, this kid I went to high school with went to uh, University of Iowa, became a doctor over time, and uh, became actually a specialist in the uses of, of human skin. And so he was so good at this that they brought him back to be a professor, and now he's a professor emeritus because he's the you know, same age I am, and they just call him in when they have these special cases. And uh, there's this little baby, little baby boy born at the little hospital in uh, Manchester, and perfect in every way, except he, he had no eyelids. And so they didn't know what to do, so they sent the parents the next day with the baby down to Iowa City, and they brought this kid in that I went to high school with, this doctor, to look at it. And he said, oh, he's examined everything. He says, the muscle structure's all good and everything. He says, what we can do is we can do the circumcision and use some of that skin to make the kid some eyelids. And they did the operation, and it worked out really, really well, except the little boy's a, a little cockeyed. <laughs> Don't forget to go to our website at stevebrownartcenter.org. Um, we're on Facebook at the Steve Brown Arts Center, um, SBAC Jessup, and on Twitter at Steve Brown Arts Center. Before we sign off tonight, um, as, 
I'm a graduate in 1979, Dale, and you talked about the legislators and what should be done. I graduated high school in 1979, and my, my father passed away in 1979. Okay. And one of the things he gave me, or left me, was his father's um, 410 and, and 22. Uh, they they were wonderful guns. I I hunted, I hunted when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. We used to I used to hunt with a couple of brothers. Um, I won't use their names. Um, we would road hunt, and one brother would drive. They had, they had an old Rambler. Another brother would 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 uh, sit in the front seat, and then I would sit in the back seat. Mm-hmm. Well. Um, greatest shot I ever saw, um, we were driving down the road, and the brother in the front seat, two pheasants flew up, and he, he put his gun up, and his door w- flew open. He was sliding down the road in the ice and shot one time, got two birds. Greatest shot I ever seen. It was incredible. Okay. Well, the next week I couldn't go, so they took their cousin with them and another guy. So one of the brothers sat in the back seat with his cousin, and they were they were hunting, and um, the one of the brothers had his gun across his lap and shot his cousin in the leg, and it was a terrible wound in in his leg. It was it was ugly, and so. When I found out about that, I sold both my grandpa's guns that mm-hmm. week. I mean, uh, they were, you know, for 1979, they were, both of them sold for over $200. They were very valuable guns okay. at that time. Um, but I have no problem with people hunting, Dale. I don't have an issue with that. I just don't want to shoot anybody, mm-hmm. so I don't hunt anymore. Yeah. Um, the thing I'm going through right now, Dale, as I watch... As I watch our country and our, our our area, not just our area, but Tennessee and Florida and and a number of states, is there have been a number of school shootings and they've been using um, automatic weapons in those schools. We don't need those automatic well, weapons. They're semi-automatic. Yeah, they're yeah. semi-automatic. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is shooting a shot a second. Shot a second to me is automatic, but uh, yeah, you're well, right. Yeah. You're right. They're yeah. semi-automatic. Forgive me. Yeah, that's all right. We, just, uh, we don't want to confuse it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Thank you. Now, it is, It is. Uh, we're, we're close to, uh, let's see, Martin Luther King Jr. would have been shot, I think, uh, the anniversary would have been two days ago, maybe three days ago. Yeah. Uh, was that 68. Yeah, I think in '68. Yeah. yeah, same year as Bobby Kennedy. Yeah, and the, you know that it wasn't with an NAR-15, but the reason I bring up Martin Luther King Jr. is he believed you need a cause that you believe in that that you could fight for, maybe even die for. He died for a cause. Mm-hmm. And perhaps automatic weapon, getting rid of automatic weapons, maybe that caused Dale. You know, we, I'm, uh, I'm tired of watching young, young, 
young people die in school. Yeah, no, I know just what you're saying. So it it is, and there, I guarantee you that that there's not a teacher in school who hasn't thought, where should I hide the kids if there's a shooter? Mm-hmm. Where do I hide if there's a shooter? Yeah, how can we lock the door? Can we get out of here? You know, and and our our children, and our teachers, and our country shouldn't be going through that. Don't don't get me wrong. I, I I'm not for ending weapons in our country, but we don't need semi-automatic weapons, and we don't need automatic weapons. Yeah. No, I I feel the same way. So I I just when these little kids and and if you see how if you're how big those bullets are. And you think of somebody shooting a little kid, a little nine-year-old kid, from probably just a few feet away, and then he's going, you know, the muzzle velocity in those things is terrific. Mm-hmm. Just what that would do to a, you know that little body, I just I just can't get over it, you no. know. And uh, those weapons like uh, AR-15s or whatever, those are those are man killers. I mean, that's why they were developed, is to kill people in in war and. Uh, you have to respect them. You have to respect that weapon as this is, is something to hunt the most dangerous game, and uh, it's not something that you do lightly, and you need to respect the weapon, and these people don't have the training or the background to respect the weapon, and they shouldn't be handling it. And you know, if you have it for self-defense, if you shoot that in your house and you miss what you're shooting at, it's going to go through the walls and through mm-hmm. the walls next to you and the walls probably next to I mean, there's no telling how far that bullet's going to go. It's not a good self-defense weapon when you could kill somebody 100 meters away that you didn't even know was there. Uh, I don't know, but I just, uh, yeah, I know. I, I, I don't know the answer. I think mental health issues are a part of the big problem, and I don't know. You're never going to get all the guns away. You never, I, there's thousands of these uh, uh, AR-15s with a huge capacity magazines, and uh, so I don't know what the answer is. I know, th- to me, the answer is I w- grew up watching cowboy movies, and when the marshal came in to clean up the town, first thing he did is he took, he said, you got to check your guns when you come into town, mm-hmm. and that's how they eliminated all the killings, and so uh, they picked them up on their left, and uh, uh, so this is nothing new about having people be more responsible with their guns, and if they can't be, then they just have to turn them in to get a more peaceful time. So, But I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's another one of those things the legislature has not talked about at all that I know of no. as far as guns. Uh, and if they would just even have a discussion so you knew, you know, where does this guy stand and where does this guy stand, it would be very helpful in elections and everything. But nobody... Uh, it, and uh, I... Very interested in knowing how much money the NRA spends to keep things going, you know, because they never they used to be more involved with gun safety and would teach gun safety courses to kids, and now they're more involved with collecting a lot of money and passing it out so that uh, there are no limitations on, you know, either the cop killer bullets, you know, the bullets that will go through uh, armor, you know, they fought against that and they fight fight against the. Uh, the large capacity magazines and just everything, and uh, we need to come to some kind of agreement or whatever. So, but whatever happened to Humor Week? Yeah, I <laughs> know. If if you if you, uh, so, if you, you know some numbers, um, one in twenty gun gun owners in our country, Dale own an AR-15. Is that, is that many? That's uh, thousands of my nose. Yeah, it's that high. Um, the 
the um, the the numbers are are frightening. But if you're if you're if you're interested in sharing a a an opinion, you're more than welcome to come in. I know Dale talked about the NRA at one point. The NRA was for for gun safety and worked real hard for that. But not, most recently, the NRA has become a gun lobby for for um, the the gun produ- production companies, um, and that's changed drastically as well. Um, they they market that they are gun safety, but mm-hmm. they are more of a lobby now. Yeah. Well, we're losing the battle. I know that. Yeah. If you would like to donate to the Steve Brown Arts Center or have an idea for an event. Go to stevebrownartcenter.org and follow the link. If you have news or would like to sponsor us, you, um, email us at jgillespiegolf at gmail.com or call 319-290-0241 leave a message. If you have an answer for Dale's trivia, that is one, where is the broken window for the last 20 years in Jessup? And more business. probably. I don't know how many. It's been a long, long time. So um, Let us know. I'm Jim Gillespie. Thanks to co-host Dale Reber and our producer Blake Tempest and Kelly Seahask at Cowork 591 Studios. Remember, each day is about little victories.